great to see everybody this morning or this evening if you watch this later. So thank you for joining us. Uh, if you didn't notice uh, for the past several weeks and then even now in your bulletin, tonight we have our night of worship. And I, and I hope that everyone is ready. Everybody ready for that tonight? I'm excited. I cannot wait to sing and pray with y'all. It's going to be an hour plus of intentional, Christ-centered worship. We have a great team. Uh, we are ecstatic to worship together. Uh, I am blessed to be a part of the group and I'm excited to really to lead worship for the first time in this building. Uh, it's going to be really fun. It's 6 p.m. tonight. Uh, we're going to go to about 7.15, uh, 7.30 at the latest. Uh, but yeah, we're just going to sing songs together. We're going to pray together. And again, it's just going to be intentional, Christ-centered worship. And I promise I'll get here early and turn the air conditioning on. So it won't be too hot. All right. I know that's what some of you were like concerned about that. Like, you know, music, eh, air conditioning, great. So yeah, we're going to have that going. Uh, we're going to continue our study this week in the book of Philippians. So uh, if you're here for the first time, uh, it's, it's the first time you're hearing the study. So that's great. Uh, we're happy to have you, thankful to have you. Uh, it's about 90% uh, of the way through your physical Bible. If you're looking through it, you got that, you know, Sally's got this great big old large print Bible. I think it weighs more than she does. And uh, so it's about 90% of the way through. Uh, you can keep your bookmark there as we're going to look at it. Uh, we have... Uh, at least two more weeks in Philippians, so I'm excited about that. Uh, we have looked at what it means to approve excellence, how to advance the gospel, what it means to be worthy of the gospel, how to encourage one another, what it means to have the mind of Christ, how to do all things without grumbling or disputing, how much the world is begging for the truth of Christ. And last week, we looked at what it means to count everything as loss compared to Jesus. And this week we're going to study the word to see what it means to forget the past, to lean in, and how to join others in imitating Christ. So we're going to read together. Again, if you're there, this is Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 21. Is everybody there that wants to be there? I don't hear a, a bunch of pages turning or cell phones clicking, so I'm going to assume that we're all ready. Okay, this is what it says. You guys ready? Okay, I don't care. I'm going anyways. Okay, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made, has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their, uh, they glory in their shame. Uh, with minds set on earthly things, uh, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
Now, Paul, Paul is, you know, he's, he's the writer of this letter and several other letters. We call those uh, epistles, which is, uh, it's not a dirty word. It's a fancy word for letter, right? Paul's epistles. We even have like Paulinian theology, all of these things that come from the writer of these letters. He's one of the most selfless, intelligent, you know, uh, missionary-minded, Christ-honoring uh, people that, that, that has ever been recorded in human history. He, he, he really went all in with his whole self. He continued to get on ships despite being shipwrecked multiple times. He kept preaching the gospel in spite of the fact that whenever he went into a town, they, they usually beat him and they stoned him and they left him for dead and they threw him out of the cities. And he kept doing it. He kept going uh, and yet he chooses to tell us how not perfect he is. That's how he starts this. He says, I'm not, listen, I'm not perfect. He, it just, it, it amazes me when, when men like this are, are that humble. I mean, he, he does call himself an apostle, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, 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 he has firmly uh, planted himself as, as being a, a leader in the church, and yet he begins this section, uh, really this paragraph, uh, really it's Paul, so it's kind of a run-on sentence, uh, but he, he begins it by saying, listen, I'm, I'm not perfect. Even though some of you look to me and say, man, this, this guy is, is almost as perfect as he gets. He goes, listen, I'm not I'm not perfect. Because he recognized that we are nothing compared to Christ. No matter how incredible you are, we are all on a journey of becoming more like Jesus. Amen? Every single one of us. doesn't matter whether you're at the beginning of that journey or whether you're halfway through or whether you're closer to, to Christ than most. It doesn't matter. We're all on a journey to becoming more like Jesus. And so the way for us to become, to become more like Jesus is forgetting the past. Now, what does this mean? When Paul tells us to do this, forget the past, he isn't telling us to not remember. I know some of you are like, isn't that what it means to forget? Like that's kind of hand in hand, right? Forgetting means we don't remember. He's not saying don't, don't remember what happened to you or, or what you did or the consequences of your actions and your words were, but instead he, he's encouraging us not to dwell in the past, does that make sense? We need to properly recall the past in order to give people our testimony. Our personal testimony is the most powerful tool we have in bringing others to Jesus Christ. Now, why is that? Well, uh, that, that book that you have in your hand, uh, a, lot of, a majority of people in America don't believe that it's true. They say, well, that's just a bunch of old white men that wrote this down in order to, to keep us down, to keep us from having fun, living our best lives. And they said, well, like if you look at this historical stuff, uh, the book isn't true, the book isn't real. We, of course, believe the opposite. But those conversations, are, they're impossible to, to prove otherwise because people are firmly set in that. Your personal testimony, people cannot refute because it's your because if you refute someone's personal testimony, then their personal testimony can also be refuted and so on and so on. So if you say, I know this is true because it happened to me. It, Jesus Christ changed me from the person that I was to the person that I am today. They cannot deny your experiences as an individual because they are your experiences. 
So when Paul is telling you, forget the past, he's not saying, hey, don't remember. He's saying, don't dwell. We need to remember, but in the sense of remembering who we were in order to talk about the effect that our sinful decisions, our sinful actions had on our past and how that we are now new in Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. You have the power uh, via the Holy Spirit to completely abolish sin in your life. Sometimes when we dwell on the past, we just say, that, that's just who I am. I've always been angry. I've always eaten too much. I've always, whatever it is. Or sometimes, for those of you who have been married for more than, I don't know, 10 years, uh, you say, man, we, we, this, is just how our, this is just how our marriage works. I mean, like, even when we were dating, I mean, things were not great. That's just how it is. When Paul is encouraging us to say, no, you have to acknowledge that you are a new creation. It's not that the past didn't happen. We don't pretend like it didn't happen. We just acknowledge the fact that it's not who we are now. And the reason that some of us, the reason that we keep doing the same things that we used to do, the same things that we've always done, is because we just say that's part of who we are, regardless of the fact that it looks the opposite of Jesus, that we think in opposition to Jesus, we say that's just who we are. So I'm here to tell you and to encourage you that that is in opposition to what the Bible says. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, I put, uh, these, are, these are in your notes, uh, if you want to know these passages, you don't have to flip there, you can look them up later. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. John 5, 24, this is Jesus speaking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, as he's talking about people that have physically died, John 5, 24, he said, you have passed from death to life. Still alive, right? Still alive. Dead to the world. Amen, Sally. Preach it. Get on up here. Come on. Yeah. We are dead to our old selves. The moment that, that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the old you is dead and the new you has come. And yet sometimes we get distracted. We get distracted by desires. We get distracted by thoughts from our past. Even sometimes our sinful hopes for the future. If we're being honest with ourselves. Paul tells us in verse 15, he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He says, let those who are mature. I think this is kind of Paul uh, kind of poking the bear a little bit, right? Uh, just to put it in context, this is like when I ask my four-year-old if she's, if she's a baby, right? When she's acting like a baby, she's, she's whining, she's throwing a tantrum. I go, you know, I love my daughter very much, but I go, are you a baby or are you a big girl, right? Are you a baby or are you a big girl? And, you know, she usually says, no, I'm a big girl. I'm a big girl. I go, well, you're acting like a baby. 
You're not acting like a big girl. And it, you know, like, it's not, I'm not making fun of her. I, I, I genuinely just want her to, to think about the way that she's acting and responding and, and question, like, am I a baby or am I a big girl? No, I'm, I'm a big girl. I want to make big girl decisions. I want to do big girl things, so I need to stop acting like a baby. The whining, the crying, the tantrums, and usually her mood turns around because she says, no, no, I'm, I'm a big girl. I want to act like a big girl. So this is Paul's version of that. He goes, those of you who are mature, and all of us should say, I'm, I'm mature. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl, right? I, 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 no, I, I'm mature. That's me. I'm mature. So he's like, okay, yeah, well, if you're mature, then think this way. If you want to be mature, you have to think this way. It is difficult because in this culture that we live in, uh, it encourages you to always play the victim. No matter what the circumstances are, you are the victim, and you have to bring up something from the past as a story to why even now, even if you are the the person that's perpetrating uh, the offense, you're the victim because of something that happened to you in the past, and we just dwell there. We don't move on. We don't mature. We just stay in the past. We just hold on to those things that have happened to us. We just stay there and we choose not to mature. And we could do that. We could make excuses why we can't stop sinning, why we stay the same, or we can be mature. It says, let those who are mature think this way. We can do whatever it takes to allow the Holy Spirit to control our whole selves by putting off everything that is not of Christ, by telling the story of how Christ changed us, whatever we were before he took over, and now we glorify God for who we are now. Whatever it is that you think that you can't get rid of, it's the devil lying to you. Whatever pain from your past that causes you to hurt other people, Whatever sin that you committed in your past that you feel like you just can't get that monkey off your back, like it's always with you, you wear it as a badge of shame, sometimes even a badge of honor, you feel like you can't get rid of it because it follows you everywhere you go. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be mature, you got to get rid of that. It's killing you. It's keeping you from becoming more like Jesus. Everyone in this room has a tattered past, broken We have made terrible decisions that have led to terrible outcomes. And if you don't think that's true of you, then you're lying. You're not mature enough to see it. Some of you have been really mature since you were younger. So it's been a long time since you've made bad decisions. And I'm thankful for that in you and your life. But I'm only 35. I can remember the bad decisions I made in my teens because it wasn't that long ago. And I can say, man, I I I was so stupid. Why did, why did I do that? And when the enemy is really working on me, he goes, yeah, you did that because that's who you are. That's just, that's just who you are. And if I want to be mature, if I want to be uh, emotionally and spiritually mature, I have to put off the things that happened to me in the past in order to step into the new creation that God has created me to be. So we have to ask the question, okay, if this is true, it's, this is for everybody. How do we grow? How do we become more spiritually mature? So Paul tells us in verse 17, if you still got your Bibles open there, to Philippians chapter three, he says, brothers, join in imitating me 
And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, join in imitating me. And I'm going to ask you a really pointed question in your life. Do you have someone that you imitate? Do you have someone in your life that you look up to? Someone that has uh, the things that you want in your life. Someone that you would long to imitate. A mentor, a disciple maker, a parental figure sometimes. There are people who have been through very difficult times. They've been through the ringer. They've come out on the other side, stronger, mature, and trustworthy. Where are those people in your life? We could look around. They're, they're all around you right now. For me, these men are called elders, brothers, spiritual leaders, someone that has the, the faith, the grace, the mercy, the love that I want in my life and I will do whatever it takes to be close to them. When I meet someone like that, that has the life, the love, the mercy, the kindness, the things that I want, I will do whatever it takes to be close to them so that they can teach me how I can have those things in my life. When someone looks and acts like Jesus in their life, I want to do whatever it takes to learn from them, to be close to them. We need to ask for their time. We need to be intentional. We need to show up and soak up wisdom. And if the person that you have asked to spend time with you in order to teach you about Jesus, if they say they don't have enough time to do that, they're not the mentor you were looking for in the first place. Which is hard to admit sometimes. In my life, I have had several young men which is kind of crazy because a lot of you would look at me and say, you're a young man. But let's say younger men. I've had lots of younger men who have claimed, I want to know what you know and I want, I want to do what you do. Sadly, when the rubber meets the road, they, they flake out. Most of them. When they're my interns, like uh, I used to get interns from Boise Bible College, which was great. Uh, it was part of their grade to not flake out. So they couldn't. They had to, when it got hard, they had to stay because, you know, their grade depended on it, uh, which is a good thing. But most of the time, uh, the, these young men, they, they stop showing up. They stop answering their, their phone. Right? They, they ghost me. It's hard to follow Jesus with your whole self. It's hard to follow Jesus with your whole self. It's hard to give up controlling your life and allowing the Holy Spirit to control that. It's hard. And the men that I have uh, attempted to mentor, they're still attending church. They're still doing some ministry. They just never went all in. I guess my, my question to you is, have you, have you, ever, you ever gone all in? Not just like showing up to church on Sunday, but in, in your whole life saying, Jesus, I want you to control every decision that I make, every word that I say. I want the Holy Spirit to dictate everything in my life. Have you ever gone all in? Seems like there's all these stumbling blocks. And some of us have rejected Jesus at those stumbling blocks because of this temptation. We have, we have people that used to be members here that instead of going all in for Jesus, they went all in for their sin. 
and we watched their life fall apart. And it broke our hearts. And it's difficult because there's no middle ground. Yet some of us have been stuck in that middle ground for a long time, wondering if we'll ever truly know what it means to follow Jesus with our whole selves. And and when I think about these people in my life, people that I went to Bible college with that, you know, have had multiple affairs on their spouses or um, have gone to prison for terrible decisions that they've made, it makes me cry because they were so close. They were so close to finding out the truth of the things that they had been taught, the things that I had told them time and time again. They were so close to following Jesus with their whole selves that there was something in the way. And at times, as a mentor, I felt like a failure. Right? If I had only tried harder, if I had only been more like Christ, I could have helped them more. It was my fault that they are where they are today. That's how I feel sometimes, which is why it's comforting and somehow also discouraging to read that Paul struggled with the same failures. He struggled with the same failures as I do. This is what he says. This is in verses 18 and 19. He says, For many of whom I have often told you, And now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. It says their God is their belly. Um, Does anyone else feel personally attacked by this passage? (laughs) I think, honestly, I think I need a safe space. Uh, You know, uh, Possibly we need to cancel Paul, right? These are pretty negative words because, you know, for those of us who are, you know, got a spare tire hanging around our stomachs, uh, this, is, this, is, this is really mean, okay? This is not, this, these are not kind words. God is their belly. Thanks a lot, Paul. Uh, but that, he, he, he's talking a, a little bit. He's talking just a little bit. When he says their, their God is their, their belly, he's not saying that people who are overweight are enemies of Jesus. At least I really hope not. Uh, but rather... <laughs> He, he's, he's using a word picture, right? Their God is their belly. He's using a word picture to describe those who seek after worldly pleasures, right? All of us who are overweight need to admit the reason we are overweight is because we eat more calories than our body burns, right? That's a fact. And I'm not judging anyone, obviously. That would be the ginormous pot calling the kettle black. Uh, but we understand that we eat more calories than our body burns. And instead of eating food that our body needs, we consume foods that our taste buds want. And now, right, I look like I look, and I've been doing this a long time. Uh, And I want to be honest, um, when you get to that point where you're like, oh, I'm so full, I shouldn't eat anymore, I know I don't need anymore, oh, but that chocolate cake is pretty tempting, right? I got that second stomach for that, uh, that dessert. And we honestly, it, it, it is a sin to continue eating, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that, although that would be delicious. Uh, <laughs> we need to understand that God, God is, He's not trying to shame us for, for being overweight. 
he wants us to ask the question, why is it that we eat too much? Why do we do it? And it's different for all of us. Some of us are just really bored. And when we're bored, we eat. And we eat food that's not, if when we were bored, we just like ate celery, we'd be fine, but that's not what we do. Right? Have you ever looked at the, the serving count on a box of Oreos? Right. Two cookies? Are you kidding me? Who's eating two cookies? Who has this? If you have the self-control to eat only two Oreo cookies, you're done. Like, you're, you're as mature as they get. Like, you're ready for the kingdom of God. It's like, are you serious? Two Oreos? So... Even like, even the package is telling us you're eating too many Oreo cookies, but it's like, it's hard because they're delicious. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm really sad about something that has happened, I like to eat more than I should. When, when I'm really happy about something that's happened, I like to eat more than I should. <laughs> when it's about 1230 in the afternoon, I like to, to eat more than I should. So there's all of these mitigating circumstances, right? Uh, that just, I feel hungry, I want food, I eat too much, and I, sometimes I eat so that I won't feel other things, right? Yeah? Yeah, so I won't feel lonely. Whatever it is, there, there's something that, that is, is, is making us feel like tempting us. Man, if you just eat one more, you won't feel that way anymore. Or I remember after I first moved out, my mom gave me her recipe. She makes the best biscuits. Listen, guys, I love your cooking. I'm sure your mom made the best biscuits, but you're wrong because I had the microphone. My mom, <laughs> my mom makes the best biscuits in the world. And she gave me her recipe, and when I really missed her, sometimes I'd make the biscuits. So sometimes we eat because we miss people. But the fact that I, ha I had to come to terms with, and I don't know if you knew this, I used to weigh 350 pounds. So I'm on the right journey, right, of, of going down and weight. I'm still bigger than I want to be. But I had to admit the fact that I wasn't keeping in step with the Spirit. I was walking, rather not walking, but I was... I was choosing not to allow the Holy Spirit to, to make the decisions in my life. Instead of asking the Holy Spirit, how do I become emotionally well? I was saying, I'm just going to eat until I feel well. Here, here's a fact I need us all to understand. Truth is not uh, subjective. It is objective. Truth is not subjective. It is objective. Objective, meaning truth doesn't change regardless of how we feel. Truth doesn't change regardless of how we feel. We don't look for Scripture to parallel our worldview. We read Scripture in order to change our worldview. Amen? So what Paul is saying, he says, if you read your Bible and you feel like you've got it all figured out because it lines up with how you see the world and how you see yourself... Uh, I don't think you're reading it objectively because every time I prepare a sermon, every time I do my personal Bible study, every time I teach, 
I, I, I realize that I am not lining up with Scripture all the time. I'll read something and be like, okay, well, that really makes me think. That really challenges me. And so I rip it out of my Bible and I never look at it again. <laughs> no, I, I, I know I need to exude more kindness. I need more patience. I need more love. I need more self-control and more peace. And I recognize my frailties, my insecurities, and my failures, and I repent of them, and I press on to the goal which Christ has set before me. That's what we do when we, when we come face to face with who we were or who we are now. We repent of the things that aren't of Jesus in order to press on to become more like Jesus. This is the only way to live a life worth imitating. The promise that Paul gives us here in Philippians 3 is why we keep going when things are tough. This is what he said, if you're, if you're still with me, Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be uh, like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So these two verses help us to keep focused on why we do all that we do for Christ. And sometimes, sometimes we live uh, in a state that we disagree with a lot of the decisions that we make, right? Is that true? Sometimes, I'm not saying right now, I'm saying sometimes, sometimes our government makes decisions that we don't like, sometimes. And it's really easy to get wrapped up in those things. It's really easy when we see someone promoting something on social media that we think is really stupid and is going to hurt the economy or whatever. We say, no, you're wrong, and here's all the reasons why, and we get really angry and bitter, and we get so focused on, on the decisions that our government is making. And so Paul is saying, yeah, yeah, you live here, but you're a citizen of heaven. <laughs> the laws, the way that we act, all of those things... We, we, we live a life as though we are living in the kingdom of God now. Regardless of what our government does or does not do, regardless of where our citizenship is, whether it's in Canada or America or any other country in the world, regardless of where your citizenship is here on earth, every single one of us have citizenship in heaven. So what he's telling us is like, we don't, we don't have to be so wrapped up in all of the, the frailties and the evil of this world and the decisions that politicians make or other people make in your life. He's saying you are a citizen of heaven and you're going to get a perfect body someday. That's why I don't get bent out of shape regardless of who the president is or, or who the, the governor is of our beautiful state because I know who is really in charge. I know where I'm going. I know what the end is. Jesus Christ, he came to earth 2,000 years ago, lived as a person. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death for us. And now he is seated on his throne. He is our mediator between us and, and God, uh, the Father in heaven. This is Hebrews 9.15. He says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems 
them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is what it means. Uh, This body that you have, this earth, everything is temporary. When we invest in our sinful desires, we are investing in things that are temporary. I don't want you to dwell in the past, but when, when you recall the sins that you make, how do you feel when it's done? Angrier, emptier? It's temporary. We have the option of investing in things that will last forever or things that will last for now. Most of you in this room have aches and pains, maybe self-induced, so just a pinky though, it's not that bad, so. And when sometimes we dwell on these things and the pains that we're experiencing now cause us to emotionally cause pain to others. We're not as patient as we'd like to be because of what we're experiencing now. We become bitter. We become discouraged. But when we remember that all of this is temporary and our soul is eternal and we're going to get perfect bodies someday where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, it helps us to lay behind all of the sinful things of our past, all of the selfish things that we choose to believe. Some of you, the thought of sitting crisscross applesauce almost throws your back out, right? (laughs) Just thinking about it. The things that I see my kids do, I'm like, I would would have to go to the hospital after doing that. Uh, We were at a Mariners game on Friday night, so go Mariners, and my daughter was doing somersaults on the concrete. She get up and go, yay! It's like, okay, how? How did you just do that? And sometimes, sometimes we think, oh man, I remember when my, when my body was better. I remember when I was more fit or before I had kids. You know, I remember, I remember those days when I used to be able to like go to the gym. You know, those fun times. Um, and it's frustrating Because we long to be the way that we were, but what God is telling you is to long to be the way that you will be. Don't long to be the way that you were. Those days are past. Those days are gone. Long to be the way that you will be. I have back pain every day. I likely always will until Jesus comes back. And I cannot wait for that day to come. I'm going to call the worship team back up. I know it seems like it's been a very short uh, one-hour sermon, Uh, but I refuse to allow anything that happens to me in this life to keep me from living my eternal life now. I'm going to say that again. I refuse, I refuse to allow anything that happens to me in this life to keep me from living my eternal life now. That passage in John chapter 5, it says, you have passed from death to life. I have men and women that I trust to speak truth into my life, and I meet with them often because my body will fade, but my soul is forever. So I invest in the forever, so I gain 
much more so than the temporary. I choose to be mentored by those who are focused on eternal life as well. So I have to ask you, who are you being mentored by? Is it TikTok? He or she is not a very good mentor. Is it Instagram? Is it Fox News? Uh, Who speaks truth into your life? So my dear brothers and sisters, do not delay in intentionally finding someone to mentor you. It doesn't matter how old or young you are. Find someone that will pour into you, that will love you. And if you want to know who those people are, again, look around you. Come to more church events. Do more things. See what these people are really like. Live with them. Go do things. Go shop with them. Uh, Join a community group. Understand who it is that you would like to be more like and spend time with them. Ask them to spend time with you. Find people who have biblical wisdom, biblical love, biblical joy, and cling to them. Don't let them go. Then, when someone sees something in you that they want, and they ask for your time, you'll be ready to pour into them as you were poured into by others. So press on into spiritual maturity. Allow the Holy Spirit to mold you into Christ-likeness and watch as the Lord brings you more and more uh, into his kingdom as his kingdom flows through you. You guys, you are an amazing church. God is going to bless us. He's going to continue to allow us to grow if we continue to press on in our maturity. So let us uh, lay behind all of our excuses, all of our regrets, all of our shames, and lean into Christ. Forget the past. Amen. We'll never be the church we were 30 years ago, but we will be the church that we're going to be 30 years from now. Amen. So we're going to continue to lay down our foundation in following Jesus continue to grow in Christ together. All right, let's pray. So Father, we just ask that you would continue to mold us into your likeness, God. Bring your people together, not just here on Sunday mornings, but each and every day. So God, let us uh, stop making excuses. Allow your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives that we would give up the past so that we could have your eternal future. Father, I know that there are people in this room that have been hurt so bad that even now they hurt so bad that they don't know if they can press on until tomorrow. So God, I'm asking that you would love them, that you would give them so much love that they would be able to tell this story someday in the future of when they wanted to give up but they chose, to spread, uh, they chose to press on. Father, we love you, and we just want to be more like you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. amen.